1: Speak to. Him.
0: They are who we thought they were. And we let them out the to... well, I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's
2: go scatter the West right tight. F left, left. 372 Y Sticks East
0: The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, I'm gonna go to college. I'll just play football. Yo!
2: Should a professional golfer be allowed to play in a pro tournament riding in a golf cart for health reasons? Should a golfer playing in a pro tournament, a PGA Tour event, a major, in fact, be allowed to play in the tournament and not walk the course, but ride around in a golf court, while the other golf cart, while the other ones walk. The answer is no, he shouldn't be allowed to do that. I'll tell you why. I'm Matt, starting off hour two with you here in the Farm Bureau studio, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team and staying connected to you around the clock because of CSpire, the number one network in Mississippi, SeaSpire, where they are customer-inspired. You can text, you can call. I'll give you all those numbers if you don't already have it. If you do, get in. Because uh, in about, oh, five minutes or so, a few minutes from here, we're going to jump on the Davini Equipment phone with Brett Hudson. The United Cohort's over here on the media team. He covers Mississippi State. He's there in Starkville. He's got baseball tonight. State hosting South Carolina. Tiger Woods not a fan of this decision to let John Daly – Use a golf cart to compete in the PGA Championship. Because of osteoarthritis, Daly got a medical exemption, and it allows him to use a cart starting today at the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black. That's the course up there in Long Island. Now, John Daly's 53 years old. A lot of people around here know him because he's played some tournaments uh, here and folks have gotten to meet him. He's a down-to-earth guy, con- beer-drinking, partying, gambling guy. Music lover, Arkansas Razorback. Woo Pig Suey, 53 years old, and he won the PGA Championship in 1991, so he's out there, and he's been given this exemption by the PGA of America under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mildly controversial. Now, Tiger Woods addressed it, but he did it with a smile. It wasn't like he's mad. But he did say, as far as JD taking a cart, he said, I walked with a broken leg. So, dot, dot, dot. And he did. In 2008, he won the U.S. Open had a tibial stress fracture and a torn ACL that required reconstructive surgery just days after he won the thing and beat Rocco Mediate in a 18-hole Monday playoff. Tiger Woods, though, in good shape. So stamina is a part of this deal. This is a 7,459-yard course. It's long. It's a lot of walking. Every, It's like the Masters. you know. You, it's long and you're walking up and down hills. And so stamina and the shape you're in over the course of the four days is one of the components in the competition. Yet, they're going to let John Daly ride around and play in a golf cart. I just think it's asinine. Now, some people are going to go, yeah, Matt, look, he's fifty three years old. He won it. It's basically a little swan song, ride through there and wave at the crowd type of round. Anyway, he ain't gonna win this thing, period. Okay, no, he's not gonna win it. You know why? Because he's fifty three years old, has osteoarthritis, and he's incredibly out of shape. And somebody's incredibly out of shape. Four days of walking an eight thousand yard golf course. They'll have a hard time compared to, you know, the top pros who are in great physical condition and are going to go in there and challenge. But I just think, I mean, it's pro sports. I know you have pro-ams, but this is not a pro-am. This is competition day. You just don't give somebody, just because, you know, they have an injury, you don't give them. It's like, you're not going to let Elijah McNamee go out here and pinch run on a on a scooter during a baseball game, are you? Well, let's just make an exemption for him, though, because he has a stress fracture in his foot. Therefore, he's wearing a cast. So we're going to make an exemption. That'd be the same thing. Put somebody on the field of play in a high-level competition and give them wheels to ride on because they
0: can't walk. Well, can't walk, can't play. Well, my pitching arm is is kind of hurting. I'm going to just use this machine today.
2: Yeah, I'm going to drop it in the pitching machine. I mean, it's just asinine that you'd have – I mean, any PGA tournament, much less a major, and give the guy one guy the keys to a golf cart, and let him ride around. He didn't have to walk, and the other guys do. There is a potential for the 53-year-old John Daly to earn a check. That is a check that somebody walking on two legs would miss out on if he gets it. And he could get it because you gave him a cart. It's the dumbest thing. What is golf
0: doing? Let's move on. Well, you have a little pride, John.
2: I, hey, that's the other thing, too, man. you think I want to go out there and ride around in a cart? It's a sideshow. All right. Baseball tonight uh, around the country. This is the final weekend of the college regular season. Everybody's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, weather permitting, because you got conference tournaments beginning next week. And so that means South Carolina at Mississippi State starts tonight, first pitch. is what it's scheduled for. Weather looks good. And joining us now to talk about it on the Divinity Equipment phone is Brett Hudson. Follow him on Twitter, Brett underscore Hudson. He's a part of the Matt Wyatt Media team, does an outstanding job writing, podcasting, and all points in between. But follow him on Twitter if you don't already. Brett, with South Carolina coming in, what's at stake? Is there anything at stake this weekend for Mississippi State?
1: Honestly, there's, there's more at stake for South Carolina than there is for, for Mississippi State. The South Carolina is seven and 20. Mm. So are Alabama and Kentucky. And two of those teams will have to miss the SEC tournament. Uh, Kentucky is playing Vandy, and, uh, who else? Alabama playing Georgia. Uh, so it, it's kind of funny that the three worst teams in the SEC are matching up with three of the best. Um, and all three of them have their SEC tournament hopes. On the line, so there's more at stake for South Carolina than there is for Mississippi State, but State still has something at stake here. Uh, They can—it's very, very unlikely, but they still can win at least a share of the entire SEC. But the more likely scenario is that they win two more games than Arkansas. Arkansas has Texas A&M this weekend, and they can win the SEC West outright. So that would mean either. State would have to sweep South Carolina and Texas A and M takes two of three from Arkansas, or state takes two of three from South Carolina and Texas A and M sweeps Arkansas. So there's still something at stake for for Mississippi State, but frankly there's there's far more at stake for South Carolina than there is for Mississippi State, especially since the the national consensus seems to be and, and for the record I completely agree with it. That state has more or less locked up a top eight national seed. I don't. I don't think they're having to do anything for for that race this this weekend or in the SEC tournament in Hoover. And and I think uh I think what they've done with Elijah McNamee, uh allowing him to have that surgery and take these next two weeks to, to heal up kind of indicates they think they've they've done that too. If they're going to allow their starting right fielder and their cleanup hitter to take the final two weeks of, of the season off, I think that's pretty indicative of what they think they've done in locking up that, that top eight national seat. So a little bit at stake for, for Mississippi State, maybe a long shot at an SEC West crown, but I, I think there's a lot more at stake for South Carolina this weekend than there is for, for State.
2: Brett Hudson on the radio. Y'all follow Brett on Twitter if you don't, Brett underscore Hudson. He tweeted out links the last couple of days to the Dogpile podcast that he and I do each week. Uh, it's a Mississippi State baseball podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. And Brett's got a lot of cool information in there for you, including some nuggets about how good Ethan Small has been. So here, I'll just throw out the big, broad question, Brett. How good has Ethan Small been?
1: <laughs> well, you could, you could argue we're watching definitely the best junior starting pitching season in, in Mississippi State history and arguably the greatest by Any classification. So this, this spawned from a a Twitter question we got for, for Dogpile, who provided a list of great junior starting pitching seasons, or to put it more, uh, I guess grammatically correct, starting pitching seasons by juniors. Uh, so you look at Dakota Hudson, Chris Stratton, BJ Wallace, uh, Paul Mahollam, uh, guys of, of that ilk that had great junior Seasons and, and many of them turned those junior seasons into first round draft selections. Dakota Hudson is already at the show, first, mm-hmm. for God's sake. And uh, we, you wanted to compare what Ethan Small has done compared to those guys who use junior seasons to get first round draft selections. And Ethan Small is unquestionably better than all of them at this point in the season. The ERA is anywhere from half a run to a full run better than any of those guys, the whip is as good as maybe half of a walk or hit per inning better. I mean, he's got a 0.7-something whip right now. Chris Stratton is in second in that regard, and he was like three decimal points below a one, so almost a .3 differential. And in that regard, the the number that seems to be striking people more than most, and I can't say that they're they're wrong in that regard, is something like 15.2 strikeouts per nine innings. It's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we've seen him launch his way up the both single-season strikeout list and career strikeout list at, at Mississippi State. And I wrote about that in full count. Uh, you can find that on com, the Hudson Report blog page. There's a, a blurb in there about where Ethan Small is and how his last two starts before the NCAA tournament are going to see him just launch up that list even more. Uh, but it's all those numbers show that, Ethan Small is currently in the midst of what very well could be the best starting pitching season in Mississippi State baseball history.
2: Brett Hudson on your radio. Um, right field had a couple questions. We've kicked it around. Somebody posed mm-hmm. it, you know, to me this way uh, earlier. It said, "Who are you most comfortable with?" In right field. I answered Cumbass just because I thought, well, he's your backup outfielder, you know, so if he's your backup center fielder, right fielder, it seems like I ought to be comfortable with him out there. What do you think?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm most comfortable with whichever platoon matchup you want to go with, be it Hatcher to face a, a right handed starting pitcher as a left handed batter or Cumbass as a right handed hitter to face a, a left handed pitcher. Frankly, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with either of them in the field and you make a good point that we have physically seen compass in the outfield Mm -hmm. this year. I mean, he played the governor's cup game in the outfield when he was playing some non-conference games and like pinch hit slash final two or three innings in the field situations. And he's even done this in conference play too. He's done it in right field, but what people don't, what people don't know because they haven't, they weren't granted the opportunity to see this, or at least most of them is that early in the season, when Rowdy Jordan was was slumping real bad, the coaching staff was clearly dedicated to him to give him the at-bat to get out of it. But what they don't know is that Josh Hatcher was taking reps at left field in pregame warm-ups. I'm assuming he was doing it in practice and and even in in batting practice, too. So there was was a little bit of a backup plan that if Rowdy never got out of that for some reason, there was probably a point maybe early to mid-March where, The, the backup plan was to make Josh Hatcher the, the starting left fielder. Now that's never been said publicly and it never will be because there was no, there's no point in it. Rowdy Jordan is your starting left fielder. He's hitting again. He's doing, he's playing fantastic baseball right now. But uh, everything that I saw in practice and how Hatcher was conducting himself leads me to believe that that was the case so there was clearly enough confidence in the coaching staff to make him the backup plan in the event that rowdy jordan never got out of a a sophomore slump to start the season so i'm having that in the back of my head i'm i'm somewhat comfortable with with josh Asher being the the right fielder starting particularly starting against a, a right handed pitcher so you get the the platoon split so i'm i'm frankly i'm comfortable with with either of them, and you can also use both of them in a game with Luke Hancock as a as a pinch hitter if you if you so choose. There's there's a lot of options there, and we still haven't mentioned Gunnar Halter, who mm-hmm. is apparently an option, which is something I learned for the first time this this week. But uh, to get back to the original question, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with either Cumbest or Hatcher there, but I'd, I'd love to see Halter there. Why not?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's options for sure, Brett. I wanted to ask you also. You're there live in Starfall, you're on campus every day, every sporting event, all that stuff. Do you sense around town, on campus, people you run into, that kind of thing, you sense people already ready and kind of gearing up for hosting postseason baseball?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, when when I when I see my friends in the outfield with the lounges, the folks that are there for all 30-some-odd home games in, in a season, they're, they're definitely prepared. And I think they, they pay attention to the national outlook. I mean, this is this is one of the better college baseball fan bases in America. So they're, they're genuinely interested in, in the national picture in college baseball, particularly in years like this one where they think they've got genuine, legitimate national championship aspirations and they want to know what kind of team they're going up against if they were to be one of the, the last teams standing in Omaha like they were last year and when they pay attention to that and they look at that and they see not only all the people locally myself included telling you that you've you've locked up a top eight national seed, but you're seeing a pretty strong consensus from that on the national level from people at d1 baseball and baseball america and everywhere else that covers this sport on a national level i I think they take that to heart they they know that it's pretty much true and and they're looking forward to that they're they they're they're more or less treating it the way we are. Yeah, we in the media, I, I mean, which is that this team has locked up a top eight national seed, and now now it's on them to finish the regular season, the SEC tournament as well as they can, so they can win that regional and actually realize that dream of a super regional in this brand new Duty Noble Field.
2: Yeah, it's really going to be um, interesting to see what the crowds are. You know, I, that's what I think too. Is I, I, can the crowds officially, in terms of those, you know, elevated atten- attendance numbers, fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand, can it reach that, like it did in the old stadium, or is there more of a, a cap on it, with the the way the new stadium is built? What do you think?
1: I, I don't see why they couldn't reach that. Uh reach that high plateau i mean i think they've hit 15 what twice
2: yeah and right.
1: in the history of the previous stadium i don't i don't have any reason to believe why they they couldn't you know they gave us a, a little fact sheet about the new duty noble field when the season started and i, I hate i can't find it yeah. right now but uh, but it would put it this way it would shock me if the capacity were smaller. And in the new one, than the old one. Again, I, I don't have that fact sheet in front of me, but I, I feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to, to pack this thing out um, as big as it's ever been. Okay, yeah. The the official game notes list the capacity at fifteen thousand plus. Okay. Um, so the the new Duty Noble Field should be able to hold the fifteen thousand people that this stadium has has used to set records and set on campus attendance records in the past, and I see. No reason to believe that that 15,000 can't be flirted with again if this team does, in fact, make that super regional and, and have 15,000 people on hand to see if they can punch a back-to-back ticket to Omaha. I, I, I don't see that as yeah. unreasonable by any stretch of the imagination.
2: Yeah, You know, it's a big if. There's a lot of baseball between now and then. But, you know, if, man, if you look up and you're in a super regional scenario with – you know, you, a win will send you to Omaha. That place will be spilling over. It, it'll be, it'll be something that really college baseball at that level really has never seen before. That's what I think. That'd be incredible.
1: I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm, um, I've more or less resigned myself. Not resigned myself. I'm, I'm more or less committed to to the fact that. These boys will host a super regional, and then 15,000 people will be there to, yeah. to watch it happen. Unless they stick them in that super, super late-night slot like they did up in Nashville last year where those games are wrapping up around midnight local, uh, that might be a, an attendance problem, uh, particularly on the first game where it's coming on a work day. Um, but for the most part, I, I think they're going to host a Super, and, and I, I just don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to, to pack 15,000 people in that stadium unless weather right. is bad and, and sends some some people away. But I, I'm i kind of bracing myself to see a 15,000-person crowd for, for a Super Regional game at Duke you Noble we'll Field, assuming they, they win the Starkville Regional.
2: Yep, that'll be fun. Brett, appreciate you, man. As always, we'll send people to your Twitter feed and – Thanks for your hard work. Talk to you soon.
1: All right. Talk to you later.
2: That's Brett Hudson. Brett underscore Hudson. There's an underscore in there. So, Roger, you found some details for me on the attendance. Let me see here. Yeah, the record attendance was
0: 15,586. Now, they say they the seating will be thirteen thousand, but the total capacity yeah. will be in excess of what the old facility. is. In
2: excess, right? So, so you in terms standing of room, I guess that's it. You look at the berm areas, uh, the way the outfields are structured now. You can actually get more people in the outfield, foul pole to foul pole, and you have the loss too. So I guess so that's you what it is. Count those folks over in the suites. Yeah, I think so. I think you do count those. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, again, it's an if. They got to get there first, but if they do get there, they're going to set an attendance record. You can pretty much rest assured of that. Um, more to come. Some breaking news. Stick around. Check my Twitter feed. Check my Twitter. I'm Radio Wyatt. Follow me there if you haven't already. Uh posted last night a YouTube video that is a, you know, it's um a brief 10 play or so breakdown of the game that Montez Sweat had against Iowa. In the Outback Bowl, and you're going like Matt. Wait a minute, hold on. It's May. You're doing Montez Sweat, who just got drafted in the first round by the Redskins, and his last game in a bowl game happened back on January one. What the? Well, look, it's off season first of all, so it's kind of like a player spotlight video. But the thing is, I did a highlight video of Montez Sweat on YouTube on my YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed on YouTube, go do that. Look up. What do you look up on YouTube? It's uh, YouTube.com slash Matt Wyatt Meteor. Just look up my name. You'll see it right there. It's the same picture that I have on Twitter, so you'll know it's me. And what it was is I had a uh, highlight video of Montez after his junior year when you knew he was going to become this big prospect. And over the last couple of weeks after the draft, somebody went in there and put a comment on that one and said that he got owned by a freshman all day against Iowa and that he's not any good. So I thought, well, okay, instead of just blowing it off, why don't I use that as a spark? I'm going to go back and look. Did he really get owned by a freshman? And it was way off. In fact, Montez played really well. A tough scheme for a defensive end against because the ball was thrown quickly and uh, there was a lot of run plays and stuff. So it was a little bit different kind of game for him than what he sees against spread offenses. But I thought he played pretty well. And the guy he played against, a really good player, who's going to be a junior, big-time offensive tackle. And they went at it. But Sweat pretty much got the best of it throughout the day. And the big tackle was not a freshman. In fact, last year he was a sophomore. He's about to be a junior. So, anyway, if you're interested in film study stuff on football, the most recent one is there. It's posted, and you can find it pretty easily on my Twitter feed. Just go look at Radio Wyatt. So, speaking of Twitter, uh, breaking news in the last little bit. Rick Flair, the famous wrestler, has um, been rushed to a hospital with a medical emergency. According to a report from TMZ, the situation is, is quote, very serious. Now, I don't have any other details, but that's all you really need to know. You know, Rick Flair getting on up there. A situation that is, quote, very serious, rushed to a hospital. And so... Um, Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. If you're a wrestling fan, you're going to be interested in that. The text line, you want to text the show, 885-ESPN. There it is. There's a number. It's a 601 area code, 885-ESPN. Text away. It says here from an unnamed texter, Matt, explain that play you're calling in the opening music. Okay, so you're talking about, in the open to the show, the play where we threw a touchdown pass to beat Auburn, and it was kind of a high point for me, and so it's in the open to the show and all that. Um, an explanation on the play. You'll have to go back, and if you want to go back that far, 20 years ago <laughs> to the uh, situation. I know it was a third down right at the end of the game. There was less than a minute, and we were down – what were we down? Four? Yeah, we were down four, 16-12. And we're down there on about the 10-yard line, whatever it was. So it was third down. I guess the clock had stopped from the previous incompletion and um, running out of downs and time. And I'll do my best to remember it. A lot of the details are fuzzy. But it seems like I remember the ball was on the right hash. And... We weren't a we weren't a spread, but we were in the shotgun, and we did have two outside receivers, one on the right, one on the left, and we had a slot. We had a running back that's going out of the backfield as well. But the play call back then, it involved a number. Now there was a lot of other deep details in the play call. You're going to set up when you when you call the play. First thing out of your mouth is the formation, so whatever that. Formation was this, that, and the other right, and left, and slot, and flip, and all these different things, and I just don't remember. (laughs) But the first thing you do when you call the play is you call the formation, and then the protection, and then the route. So it'd be like, you know, if there's any motion, you're calling that out in the formation. So it'd be something along the lines of, you know, uh, right, flip, Whatever you call the motion, then your protection—you throw that in there. If it's you know sixty this or six hundred that, and then the route. And I do remember the route had the number seventy-seven in there. It didn't have a name, but it had the number seventy-seven, and the reason is seven on our passing tree represented a post route or deep slant. An 8 would have been a skinny post, which is more vertical up the field. But a 7 was more of a, not straight across, but more of a hard post route by an outside receiver. And so when you say 77, that indicated that we got two of those, one on either side. We got a hard post by the outside receiver on the left and a hard post by the outside receiver on the right. And the way we had underneath routes, too, and the way we were taught to read that thing was – generally, usually against a single safety in the middle of the field, you know, if you if you get single safety and no normal man-free or cover three, you're gonna play off that safety. You're gonna depend on your receivers to win on the outside. And so if the ball's on the right hash and the safety stays in the middle, you're gonna have more room to throw on the left. And he's not gonna get there and break up your throw. So that's the post you probably throw. If he drifts out of there, then you come back to the other one, you're playing off that safety with the two posts, it's called 77, if that makes any sense to you. But what we had is we get out there to run it. We don't have timeouts. We don't have time to change the play. Play clock's getting on down. We've called this 77 double posts on the outside, and there are two safeties. They're in a four across because we're down there. It's basically like cover two, but we're on the 10-yard line, so there's a couple guys in the middle of the field. It's not going to really – give you as clean a read as a quarterback because you don't have this single safety in the middle of the field. And so we ran it anyway. I'm thinking touchdown. we got to have it. I'm not thinking complete it underneath because, there's you know, we don't need to do that, complete it short of the goal line. This ball's got to go in the end zone. So it's throw it to one of these post routes or bust against two safeties. So I waited for the post route to my right to clear the safety to get behind the one that's in front of me on the right hash. But I waited too late to throw the ball. If I would thrown it earlier and stood in the pocket where I was supposed to, it would have been a clean catch for a touchdown, pretty easy. But, number one, I got nervous. I started drifting, and I drifted right over into my pass protection. My offensive line was doing their job, and I drifted. Really poor footwork made it harder on me to step into the throw. I didn't get as much on it. And the other thing is I throw it a little late, so when the ball got there to my receiver, who had cleared the first safety and you know just past the goal line, the other safety on the backside to my left had now come over, and I'd thrown it late enough that now he had a chance to make a play on the ball. And that's what led to Matt Butler, our receiver, and their safety sandwiching each other, just hitting each other as they got to the football, just sandwich the football on the goal line. And Matt, being a receiver and sure-handed, Out fought the uh, safety for the football and came down with it for a touchdown. You know, and there's so many little details, even I remember from 20 years ago, a play like that, that, you know, it worked, but I didn't at all really do exactly my job as the way it was drawn up. If I had done that, it would have been a much easier play and everything, much less dramatic. (laughs) But I did all kinds of wrong stuff, but it worked out just because we made a play. But it is an indication of how much is being processed in the heads of these guys on the field just to run one play. You're thinking about a million different things. Coverage, movement, line, you know, splits, alignment on the field, everything. Other stuff coming your way. Stick around. you're listening to the Matt Wyatt show The little engine that could Yep John Daly playing in the PGA Championship riding around on a golf cart because he has osteoarthritis and he won the event back in 1991 but 53-year-old John Daly gets to ride around on a golf cart. Ooh, what a bigger.
0: <laughs> that's the real problem right there.
2: Well, that's it. If he were in good shape, I mean, the osteoarthritis, it might be hard for him to make the cut, but he could go and walk like the other competitors. I'm just saying, if you have an event where physical stamina is a part of it, and pretty much any athletic sporting competition is going to include an element of stamina, which you have in a golf course. Now, people who've never really played a lot of golf go, What? Come on, Matt. It's golf stamina. No, trust me. I'm telling you. Even finely tuned athletes get worn down. Muscles get tired. Legs get tired. Balance gets off. It just happens. It's part of the, and they all do get tired. And over the course of four days, that fatigue and endurance or lack thereof can swing things one way or the other. So it's part of it. And for one competitor, you're just going to eliminate it. I just don't understand it. Is it like, okay, well, this will make a few people happy to see him out here, and he literally has 0% chance to win this thing, so we're going to do it. But just what if? I mean, you're giving somebody an opportunity to go out there and golf's the kind of game where if he just rolls it in and rolls it in and hits shots, and what if he goes and earns a check in front of somebody who's been walking?
0: That, to me, is asinine. Phil Mickelson. What about him? Has arthritis. Mm-hmm. Does the Embro commercials. Yeah. Walks.
2: Okay, and this is a major championship, and I get it. 53-year-old John Daly is not Tiger Woods, but what if? What if in 2008, when Tiger Woods had an ACL tear and a fracture of his tibia, yet played an 18-hole playoff on Monday of the U.S. Open and beat Rocco Mediate. What if Tiger Woods just said, hey, I got a leg issue. I need a cart. Can you imagine? What's the difference? It's a major tournament. It's somebody with a health issue. Give him a cart. But We're not going to give Tiger Woods one because he might win. It's just stupid. Blair texted the show earlier when I brought it up, and he said, Blair, Look, Matt, J.D. ain't making the cut regardless of walking or riding. He'll more than likely D.Q. himself nine holes in anyway. Well, as far as I know, that hasn't happened. <laughs> and there's all this if and maybe and whatever. I, I, I understand, but, you know, no, none of the golfers on the in the tournament are making a big stink out of it, so maybe I shouldn't. I just don't understand the thinking
0: behind it. But if he wins... And again there'll be a stink. There'll be a stink there. will be they a like stink there
2: like the it would
0: be and Kentucky Derby stink.
2: And again, it's golf. So John Daly can get the ball in the hole. <laughs> and he can shoot a good score. It's golf. It's crazy. So I do not understand why it is that you'd allow anybody that's going to actually compete in the event to do that. I don't get it at all. You know, and Roger and I were talking about it as a society. Like on either side of this thing, you know. Roger uttered a while ago. He said, "Have some self-respect, John." Okay. On the on the PGA side or on the John Daly side, can can nobody look at the situation and go, "Hey, look." If you've got a physical ailment, man, you either got to play through it or not. This is how we do it. You walk when you play a pro event, you walk. If you can't walk, I, I mean, we'd love to have you play,
0: but you might not be able to. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't. He's quite a musician though. Have you have you heard his songs? Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not a, I'm not a big fan of the of this music, really. Then won't play hit it hard then. Yeah.
2: Denzel texted the show and said, I have no problem with John Daly using a cart, but not at a course where it's walking only and has a sign where it says carts are too dangerous. So that's apparently the case at Beth Page Black in Long Island, New York. So you get an exception versus what anybody else. Um, Here's a text that says Daly won't be playing the Masters anymore either no cart pass at Augusta and he's been riding for two years on the Champions Tour that is just a big crock of you know what because look let's be honest okay I understand osteoarthritis that's an autoimmune thing it's different than a broken foot a sprained ankle a busted knee knee I get it. But still, you can't convince me that being fat doesn't have something to do with this also.
0: By the way, if we're concerned about John's health here, so you know wouldn't fallen over or hurting himself, the, the swing isn't really good on your bones either. You know, that, <laughs> I mean Right. It's not good on a healthy person ask Tiger. Mess yourself up. The real
2: Brian has the text of the day. And it may actually be closest to the actual truth in this whole (laughs) situation. He he says, hey, Matt, John Daly wants a cart so he can carry his beer.
0: Now we have to entertain the prospect of a DUI. (laughs) Or a GUI. on On a golf cart. I mean, I just don't get it, man.
2: I mean, you know, are you on the Champions Tour, are you that hard up for a few spectators that one of the competitors is allowed to ride a golf cart and the other ones aren't? Because, again, right, sporting events are supposed to be like a level playing field for everyone. So if one guy rides a cart, shouldn't the others be given the
0: option to ride the cart if they want to? It sure helped the game move along quicker. It would that. I just don't. I'm for that. I think that's a great idea. Everybody gets the cart. Like if Oakley. you want one, if you want to walk, walk. But
2: you either have to say, we're walking on this golf tournament, or we're not. And if you're not, everybody has an option. I just, it makes zero sense to me in any kind of structure whatsoever of organized sports to have an actual competitor that doesn't have to endure what the other ones have to endure. And it not make any sense whatsoever. And I used a just an asinine uh, parallel example a while ago, and I said, you know, let's say in baseball. Right now, Elijah McNamee, the right fielder for Mississippi State, has a cast on his right, left, one of his legs, and lower leg, and he's on crutches because he had a stress fracture in his foot, and they put a screw in there, and they're letting it heal up. And so tonight, when Mississippi State plays South Carolina, let's say that Chris Lemonis would like to pinch run Elijah McNamee. Well, he's got a bad leg and a cast on his foot, so we're just going to put him out there on a on a you know those little carts, those little scooters.
0: Ride this little hub around.
2: Yeah, you know, you can kick you kick with one leg and you just ride with the other. We're gonna put him out there with a scooter. Well, that's not fair. He can't he can't run the bases in a baseball game on a scooter, on a cart. Well, sure he can. He's got a leg issue. Well, that's not fair. We can't Well well, he's got an issue. And and Doggone, we want him to participate in a highly organized sporting event, and his physical
0: ailment just won't let him do it. We're gonna give him a cart to run the bases. How about a NASCAR driver who didn't quite have twenty twenty vision? <laughs> yeah. So we're we gonna do.
2: We're we gonna do there. We're just gonna move him out front. That way he doesn't have to look at any cars in front of him. He can just see the lines on the pavement. It's stupid. I don't get it at all. I just don't get the thinking behind it. You have a set of rules that everybody has to play by, or you don't. You know, and again, it's an indication of a lot of societal issues that we have, in in my opinion. God Can I forbid talk about it, another societal issue. God forbid we tell anybody no. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, God forbid! You have to tell somebody, "Hey, look, no, you're not playing."
0: participation trophy time well
2: i have this particular health issue well i'm i hate it but uh nope not playing unless you walk (laughs) like everybody else i mean
0: come on what are we doing like the military they've got they they will flat tell you no if you don't have perfect vision you're not flying a jet son not doing it not got that like
2: literally the recruiters at the Air Force would say to me, Roger, Matt, you're too long and lanky, man. You're not gonna be a fighter pilot. Period. Forget it. Right. Not happening. Well, yeah, but I fair. was Yeah, but I was born this way. That's not fair. Make a bigger plane. You know what they say? Ha <laughs> We got one. He said that C on
0: one thirty, on man.
2: <laughs> he said, bigger plane. Get out of here. <laughs> Good stuff, Roger. I'll see you tomorrow. See
1: it. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show.